And so within kind of the structure, this is not part of like what we're teaching on today or anything, but while we're speaking about who we are, sorry, that's a little loud. The floor will be okay, I promise. Um, like one thing that, that we recognize from a leadership perspective is there are limitations in the scope of our practice as pastors and leadership. And so we do what we call spiritual triage. Like if somebody, sorry, if somebody's kind of in the midst of something, like we sit down and, you know, determine like the depth of your need to a degree, and we are quick to refer. Like if there's a need that is more than what we can do, and that's a lot of things, be it marital issues, be it mental, mental health struggles, things like that, we refer quickly. And uh, like Mountain View has quickly become like the first place that we refer to. And we have others, you know, I, I do, I think Brandon would probably tell you that, that counselors are a lot like running shoes. Uh, sometimes the first one doesn't fit right and you, you try to find another one. So, so we have several, but we, we trust these guys and we've, we've referred several people within Origins uh, to them. And so if you, like, just, just an open invitation, like if you are in the midst of whatever it may be, X, Y, or Z, and you need help beyond what you're capable of and beyond what we're capable of, come and see us, and we'll be glad to, to refer you. Uh, if it is financially uh, a burden and you cannot afford it, we will come alongside with you and, and help you with that as a church family because we want to take care of our family. Um, we, you know, just kind of bottom line, we'll ask you to pay a little bit so you got a little skin in the game, but we will assist you with the rest uh, because we, we know that it's important and it's valuable. And so I hope you uh, get a chance to talk to Brandon a little bit today. Thank you. Thank you, man, for coming and uh, sitting with us for a bit. Awesome. All right. Well, now let's get to the rest of today. We are kind of kicking off this kind of idea of who we are over the next uh, four weeks, maybe five weeks, depending on how the Spirit leads and depending on what comes up, because life does come up. Uh, I do want to say thank you for people who have reached out and taken care of my wife and family this week. Abby had shoulder surgery on Thursday. I got back from Boston on Monday. Uh, you'll hear about the Boston trip next week, um, but Abby had some surgery on Thursday, and so she's been recovering, and, you know, it's hard to take care of kids and, and have a one-armed wife and cook and clean and all that kind of stuff, so people have helped us out, so thank you for that. Thank you for being a church family that does, like, care about its people um, in doing that. So thanks for that. I'll be, I'm leaving today. I will say this. I'm leaving town today for a couple of days. I've got to go out of town and teach. And so if you guys want to check on Abby, that'd be great. Don't tell her I told you to, though, because that would take the fun out of it. Um, but anyway, hey, let's pray. Uh, let me, let me kind of focus where I am, ask God to do that, and we're going to jump, jump right in. God, we love you. Uh, we thank you for today. God, we thank you that your word um, is more than trustworthy, but God, it's paramount that we, we live in it and we allow it to live in us. God, thank you for enabling that to be a possibility. Uh, thank you, God, that you have created something very unique in this Origins family uh, that is not bound by a building or an occurrence or anything else, but we're only bound by the redemptive work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit that dwells in us to unite us to our eternal Father. Thank you so much for that. Um, God, as we look at just our identity as a church, who you've called us to be and how you've made us the way you have, God, I pray that it would be a vision that all believers could latch onto, but especially this family in this city uh, for your glory and your purpose. Um, Father, thank you for doing something so great and so magnificent that we can't take credit for it. Um, pray that you would continue. Uh, and God, just thank you for time today. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you have been with us for a while, you've probably heard us kind of repeat, um, we exist to make disciples who love God, love one another, and, and love the city. Like, 
that's kind of our mission statement. That's our identity. Um, and we've kind of made a call as leadership, like if it does not line up with that, if it's not furthering those four things, which are kind of unified under what we're going to talk about today, then we're probably not going to do it. Um, we can fill up the calendar. We can do a lot of things. We can do a lot of, uh, of good works. But if it's not furthering these ideas of making disciples who love God, love one another, and love the city, then to be honest, uh, a church family of our size, of our scope, like it's going to be a waste of time to a degree for us. And so we want to be very direct about what we do. We want to be very intentional about what we do. And, and we also want to be transparent about why we do it. And so over the next couple of weeks, like I said, we're just going to talk about who we are. If you've been with us for a while, I think this is a great reminder. Um, we have a membership class or, you know, our Origins 101 class next Sunday. That's kind of an information meeting, but also what it means to be a covenant member with this, this faith family. Um, but for those of you who have been on paper covenant members for a long time, like this is a great reminder as to why we exist. Because I think there is a condition that we have to admit and kind of lament and celebrate at the same time. Like, um, if we have grown up in the church or even near the church, we have thoughts about what the church exists to do. But here's the reality. Very often we have placed responsibilities and outcomes and expectations on the body of Christ, the church, that were not laid out by Jesus. And so we expect the church to function in a certain way, to do certain things, but very often those things are not what God designed them to do. And so we want to be very, um, very just direct and intentional about keeping uh, God's design for this church, the design of the church. And so sometimes that means we'll say no to things and not do them. Sometimes that means that we're going to put a lot of eggs in a certain basket that you may not understand. Uh, but I do want you to, to bear with us a little bit. Like we are doing our best to hold true to what God's called us to be. Um, a couple things about this Origins family. Like we're not trying to be the best church family in downtown. Uh, there are a lot of great church families in downtown that we celebrate, that we partner with, that we love dearly. Uh, we're just another expression of that. Uh, we do feel like God's called us to be a bit unique um, with the fact that we are overtly relational. Um, like, you are most likely here. It's a rarity that you come in and don't know anyone. If you do, we call you like an, an internet miracle uh, that you've walked in and there was not an existing relational tether. Um, and if you're here, that's great. But most of you, like in community groups over the next few weeks, you're going to hear people's stories. And one of those parts of that story that we hope comes out is like, how did you come to be a part of Origins? And most likely it's going to be because Billy Bob and Peggy Sue, they said this to me on this day, and so as a result we came. We don't have a Billy Bob and Peggy Sue, but I wish we did because that would be great. Um, so today we're going to kind of tackle this, this first idea of we exist to make disciples. Um, and I'll tell you what we're not going to do. I'm not going to talk about the how today. The how is going to come up over the next several weeks. Um, but imagine, if you will, for just a minute that you got a, a brand new job. Brand new job, it's a factory job. And your job is to make flitter snoots, okay? Have you ever heard of flitter snoots? Me neither. I made it up. Okay, so, but that's your job. And you're gung-ho. You're excited. Brand new job. You get to make something awesome, or so you've been told. And so you show up at that job. You work so hard every single day to make flitter snoots. But then 10 years down the line, you kind of evaluate the efficacy of your position. And you realize, I don't even know what a flitter snoot is. But I've been trying to make one for the past 10 years. It's a very good chance that you didn't do a very good job at it. 
So in this very first idea of we exist to make disciples, before we can talk about the how and and the practical nature of what it looks like to be the hourglass, to be invested in by Jesus, to flip it over and to invest in someone else, like before we talk about the how, we actually have to establish what it actually means to be a disciple. What are we trying to reproduce? Like what does that look like? Because I think it's a lot like anything. Like if we took a poll, um, for those of you who hadn't been a part of Origins for a while, because a lot of you are going to hear this, you're like, I've heard this before, that's great. Great. But a lot of you, if we ask, what is a disciple, we'd get 150 different answers if we ask 110 people. And so because that's, that's the reality of it. And so for us, in the way that we process, the way that we focus, the way that we work, we want to have a unifying definition of what it means to be a disciple. And we need that unifying definition to come from Scripture. And so today we're going to look in Matthew chapter 4. Uh, we're going to look at the, the time in which we have an account of him calling his first disciples. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 4, verses 18 through 22 primarily. Um, And we're just going to apply some ideas about what a disciple is from this text. Uh, Now, I will tell you there's there's parallels of this in Mark 1, Luke 5, kind of John 1. They're they're a bit accessory to a degree. Um, in, In this place, we actually see Jesus calling his first disciples to do something. But we'll go ahead and toss out there. He likely had encountered them before. Um, Jesus was a man about town at this point, speaking and doing some, some amazing things and, and drawing some attention to himself because he was God with skin on, and so that was, that was kind of attention-grabbing. And so he had probably had encounters with these guys before, but in this case, uh, he speaks and they do something, and we want to look at that. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, we'll read through 22. It says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. From this text is where we get the idea of what it actually means to be a disciple. We get our working definition from this, and, and we're going to kind of toss out three characteristics of what it looks like to be a disciple. Uh, but in the process, I'm going to ask you some questions that if you're a note taker, if you're a writer down of things, I want you to write those down and attempt to answer those this week for yourself, because I can't answer them for you to a degree. You need to answer them for yourselves. Uh, And so basically, like I said, Jesus had been on the scene for a little while. He'd already been tempted. Uh, John the Baptist had already had, you know, been speaking of him, preparing a way. And and most likely, he had already encountered a few of these guys before um, in some, some pretty neat circumstances, but all around their job, their occupation of fishing. And in this particular place, it says that he's walking by the sea, the place where people fish because they were fishermen. I love that little line in there, for they were fishermen. And, and he just calls out to them. He just calls out to them. He doesn't give an explanation. He doesn't give context for any of this, the context he had likely already created through his interactions with them. But in this particular place, he just says, look, uh, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the effect of that, verse 20, this is usually a Markian word, but in here Matthew uses it, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going a little further, he saw two others, the sons of Zebedee, he called them, they followed too, and there's some similarities between what they do. But here's the things that I want us to see first. There are three characteristics of what a disciple is given this. And the reason we can say that is because these men were capital D disciples. They were our first disciples of Jesus. A disciple in its most literal sense is just simply a follower or a learner. That's it. 
If someone's been called a, a disciple of X, disciple of Y, whatever it may be, that just means that they follow and they learn uh, from that subject. That's it. But in this case, most rabbis of the day would have had 12 disciples, roundabouts. Uh, but they would have called them in a very different way. They would have most likely called them out of rabbinical school, or they would have called them right before they written rabbinical school. They would have seen more than possibility. They would have seen potential, and they would have been willing to invest in that and have them come alongside of them, or actually behind them, and have them follow for X number of years. And they would likely have 12. Jesus was a very different type of rabbi. Like, he didn't have the robes. He didn't have the cords. He, he probably didn't have any braids in his beard. And he, he didn't have the, the lineage, so to speak, that most rabbis did. He had a, a better lineage, but it wasn't quite as obvious. And so for him to call unto himself some followers and some learners would have been odd. Like it would not have been normal. Because this was generally reserved for, like, you know, rabbis that were recognized as rabbis by the temples and the synagogues and those types of things. But Jesus, at this point, even now, he was already stirring up the temples and the synagogues. He was already making small waves that would become very large. But speaking of waves, he's walking by the Sea of Galilee, sees these first two, and he just says simply, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Whether you've been told or not, uh, if you have chosen to relinquish your life, under your ownership and give it over to Jesus, making him Lord, abandoning your sin and choosing him instead, trusting that his life, his words, his death, and his resurrection will make you right with your eternal Father, and you'll be sealed with the Holy Spirit. Whether you've been told or not, you are now a disciple of Jesus. The quality of that discipleship, though, may be up for debate. And I don't know if you've ever been called that to your face. Like, I don't know if you've ever been told, like, you are now a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, a learner of Jesus, or you should be based upon your confession. So we see these disciples, and the first characteristic that we're going to see from a disciple is a disciple is this, someone who is, now this is going to blow your mind, someone who's following Jesus. That's the first most basic, most basic quality of a disciple, someone who is following Jesus. The reason I love looking at the disciples is because we actually get to see them physically follow Jesus. But in order for them to follow, let me tell you the first thing they had to do. They had to leave. They had to leave. They had to leave their occupation. They had to leave their nets. They had to leave their boats. James and John left their dad. They left the known for the unknown. They left. I think the American version of a disciple is you don't have to give up that much, but you're going to get a lot. The reality is those weren't Jesus' words. The reality is, uh, like Matthew 8, 18 through 22 is going to tell us, and it'll be up on the screen in 3, 2, 1. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I will be your disciple. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, he has nowhere to lay his head. And another of the disciples came to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me, leave the dead to bury their own dead. That sounds incredibly harsh. It does. It sounds incredibly harsh, but in reality, he couldn't do anything for the dead, but he could follow Jesus. In order for us to follow, the first thing that we understand is that sometimes we have to leave. Now, if what we have to leave, that's going, to be, that's going to vary from person to person. Like, it's going to vary. Like, the, the most universal thing that we have to leave is obviously going to be our sin. We have to choose Jesus instead, leave our sin behind. We call that repentance, confessing, turning from that, turning to Jesus instead. That's leaving. But very often, I'll be honest, sometimes we have to leave more. 
like the disciples, we see a very physical illustration. Like they left their very occupations to follow Jesus for a life that promised them no gain. Now, these were blue-collar guys. These, these four that we're talking about here, blue-collar guys. But there was also a government-endorsed uh, thief, a tax collector at the time. He left that, too, and left a lot of money on the table. But they left in order to follow Jesus. In order to follow, sometimes the very first thing we have to do is, is leave. We have to leave. What you leave is, is going to be heavily dependent upon what you're following currently and, and what God asked of you. I don't think it's a, a given that God's going to ask you to leave everything that you hold dear or everything that you hold valuable, but I think there is this accepted idea that's biblically based that he's going to ask you to leave the things that you're going to put before him. You know, if there are things in your life that you are going to, to struggle with and to keep them off the throne of lordship instead of allowing him to, he very may well ask you to leave those because he has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. He has desires for you. He has a mark on your life. And so he asks us to follow. That's that first qualification. I think this following, too, before we, before we move on and we think that it's about how hard I'm going to work or how hard I'm going to try, I think it requires the faith that God is going to impart upon us. Because we can't follow something wholeheartedly with full intent without God supplanting something in me that tells me that I can trust it. Like there was an encounter beforehand, most likely, with Jesus and these disciples. And at some point in this, this beautiful sovereign plan that God has, there was a, a fate that was transplanted into these men that allowed them to trust the one that they were about to follow and give up everything for. It needs to be in our life, too. Like there's no chance. Like I, I will say this loudly and clearly. There is no chance of us following Jesus unless God has equipped us with the faith necessary to do so. It won't happen. No matter how hard you try, no matter what books you read, no matter what letters you have after your name, without God enabling, calling, and equipping you to follow, we, we just simply can't. Because imagine, if you will, like being told to leave everything that you hold dear, everything that you love, to follow someone whom you shouldn't even trust at this point, but yeah, I'm going to. Like, humanly, it's not, it's not going to happen. I'm called to follow. Sometimes we have to leave, but bare minimum, there has to be faith that exists there. And faith isn't something that we create. It's not something that we make, not something that we manufacture. It's something that's given. Now, we play a part in growing that faith. That's active sanctification, but, but God creates that. They left where they were. They left their jobs. They left their nets. They left, etc. I love, again, like I said, it's usually a very Markian word. That immediately word pops up a lot in the book of Mark. If you were with us, you know, that, those 18 months that we were there in that short book, you probably heard it a lot. Uh, but they didn't reason. They didn't ask. They didn't, they didn't ask for a job description or anything like that. They didn't ask where they were going, what they were going to do. They just they dropped it, and they went. And they immediately left to follow him. Here's the question for this one. And this is the one you have to answer. What are the evidences of you following Jesus? What are the evidences in your life right now that you follow Jesus? What is different now in your life than before? Now, I know some of you may have, you may have come to a, a salvation experience early in life. Like I was six years old, shared this story in our community last week on the ugly shag carpet in the hall of our home during nightly devotions. And so for me to look back at pre-six and remember what my life was like before is sometimes hard. But by the grace of God, I can remember the doubt and the guilt that I experienced that led me to crying out to Jesus as a six-year-old. 
But I can also see the way that that sin influence crept back in in those days in which maybe I wasn't following as, as well as I should. Those same marks of my previous life, the way they, they came back and they infected me very much like when Peter had denied Jesus, he went back to fishing. I can still look at those as evidences of me turning from, turning to. So the question for you that you need to answer is, what are the evidences that you are actually following Jesus now? What's different? So after he said, come, follow me, he said this. And I remember I had a chapel speaker. His name was Stuart Briscoe. Had an amazing British accent, very Sean Connery-ish. And the whole week he spoke about, about Peter. Peter showed up in chapel his first day, didn't open his Bible a single time. And he spoke about Peter. And one day he spoke of the calling of Peter. And in the words of Jesus, he said, Simon Bar-Jonah, that was Peter's name, I know you. Come, follow me, and I will make you. Man, it was great. So good. The second part of being a disciple is not only following Jesus, but we're being transformed by Jesus. He said, I will make you. I will make you. What we know this to mean now is I will remake you. For some of us, that means that Man, the facade of who we used to be, he tears down entirely and rebuilds it the way he wants. For some of us, it, it may feel like a gradual shift in our priorities, in our loves, in our passions, the very paradigm of our life. But either way, either way, he loves us as we are, but loves us too much to leave us that way. And he will change us. Now, that's his job in that. But there's also an acceptance that we have to have in this moment, that we have to be willing to let God completely, radically, totally, whatever degree that he wants, to change us, to transform us, to not leave us as we are. If we are holding on to our past so hard that we're not let, willing to let God reshape us and make us into something new, then we're not really following. We just want the benefits, but... We don't want the stipulations that go with it. He says, follow me, and I'll make you. I'll make you. Uh, continuing this idea, 2 Corinthians 3.18 uh, reminds us here, and this was later in the church's process and understanding, but it says, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is spirit, the spirit of God that God plants in us. As a result, the seal of our salvation, God will use him as an agent of change in our life. And we're all being transformed, changed into the likeness of Jesus himself. We call that biblically sanctification. Sanctification, it is the work of God, but yet there's, a, there's this also part in us that we have to be willing to let that happen and also work towards the goal that God's given us. We're not saving ourselves, we're not changing ourselves, but we are agreeing with God. The very same way that we talk about prayer is we are agreeing with God that you want to change me, so I'm going to do what you ask. I'm going to take the steps that you put in front of me. I'm going to obey the things that you ask me to do, and in doing so, I'm going to allow you to make me into whatever you want me to be. The disciples, again, we have a very physical representation. Like, he took them, they were formerly fishermen, tax collectors, other types of workers, and he physically made them into something else. Like, just, just shortly after this, shortly after listening to him, learning from him, watching him, like he sent them out two by two to do something they had never done before. To speak the good news, to, to heal people, to, 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 to cast out demons. He, he equipped them to do all of that. 
It wouldn't happen unless they followed, and it wouldn't happen unless they were open to being transformed. Yeah, a disciple is following Jesus, but a disciple is being changed by Jesus. And so here's your, your second question. Second question that you answer during this week. What are the evidences of change in your life? What are the evidences of change in your life that God has done? That God has done. Like, I generally think of these as like passive and active sanctification, kind of an idea, like at least from where we sit, right? Like passive sanctification is things that I didn't do, but God did. Maybe it's the way that, um, that, I, that I love differently now, because I didn't make that happen. Like, I didn't choose to love differently. That's something God plant, planted in me. Now, there are days where I see that I do it wrong, and I need to repent and confess and move towards loving more like Jesus. But like we prayed this morning, God, give me your eyes, give me your heart, so that I can see people and love people the way that you do. Like, that's a work of God, not a work of man. Like, because we're all born, like, let me give it away. We're born loving ourselves more than anything else in this world. Like, we're born loving ourselves more than anything else in this world. Like, we love our own, we love our stuff, we love our get, we love our got, we love all of that stuff more than anything. Like, that's the way that we're born. But we're born with this worship leaning, that, that Imago day, that fingerprint that God left on us as a result of creating us in his image, a desire to worship, but we just don't know where to place that unless God draws us in to show us, I want to be the object of your worship. And in doing so, like, man, sometimes we just have to confess that we've been worshiping the wrong thing and allow God to fix us. Allow God to sanctify us, to make us into people that look more like Jesus, separate from this world, part of his kingdom, to remove us and place us somewhere new. That's kind of that passive sanctification. The active sanctification on our part, though, trusting that God is going to change us when he asks us to move in a certain direction for the change of my life, the change of my tenor, the change of all of those things, we just need to do it. Whether we understand the rhyme, the reason, the rationale or not, like it's, it's coming from God. So that faith thing that he granted us so that we may follow is the very same faith that equips us and enables us to be obedient even when we don't understand. A disciple is someone who is following. A disciple is someone who is being transformed and changed. So he said, come, follow me. I will make you. And then after I will make you, then he says, I will make you into this. He said, I'll make you into fishers of men. Fishers of men. I just love the fact that now, granted, no accidents here, but he's saying this to fishermen, right? Like, let's, let's just go ahead and throw the obvious out there. Like, they're out there fishing, okay? So that's their occupation. So he's basically saying very, very plainly, very simply, uh, come, follow me, leave all that behind, allow me to change you. And what I'm going to change you into is people that know me, people that seek me, people that follow me, and people that work on my behalf. You're not going to fish for fish anymore. You're going to fish for people. That's what I'm going to make you into. That's what I'm going to make you into. This is, the, this is the tripping line for most people. Let me just say this, confessionally. This is the tripping line for the church. We're good with following most of the time, even though we, sometimes we may muck it up, not do it great. We're even good to a degree with allowing God to change us, okay? Make us better versions of ourselves. We're even good with that to a degree. But then when God actually says, uh, all the things that I've done with you, I, I'm, I'm changing you, I've called you to follow something else, I've called you to leave some things, when, then when he starts to attach purpose to it, that I'm actually changing you so that now you, you serve and you minister in my name for my benefit, for my glory, for my kingdom, a lot of us are like, oh, not me. I'll take this over here, but I really don't want that. The bookends of Jesus' ministry, when he started, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then we go to Matthew chapter 28, 
And he says, therefore, go, make disciples, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I'll be with you through it all. The book ends. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Go, therefore, make disciples. Everything in between is equipping us to understand the first statement and live out the last. This statement of, I will make you fishers of men, this is not reserved for deacons, elders, pastors, missionaries. No, 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 it is the church. It is the church. Do you know why I know that? Matthew 28, what I just spoke about. Do you know who the people who were gathered there to listen and hear Jesus say that? What they would become would be the church. At this point, there were the 11 remaining disciples, maybe a few hundred or a few hundred more, other disciples, general followers of Jesus, and he spoke this word to all of them, not just the pastors in their midst. He spoke it to all who would become, in just a matter of a little while, the bride of Christ, who was awaiting the groom, the church, Ecclesia, the family of God. He spoke it to all of them, not just the pastors, elders, and deacon candidates in their midst. If we accept a version of the gospel that has no responsibility, we haven't accepted the gospel. We've read a book that says, do you want to be better? And we say, okay, I want to be better. Jesus says, follow me. I will change you. I may change your occupation. I may change your love language. I may change everything. But one thing I will change for sure is whose mission you're on. For sure. For sure. Yes, a disciple follows Jesus. Yes, a disciple is transformed and changed by Jesus but a disciple wants to see more people become the same as they are. A disciple of Jesus. It's the greatest pyramid scheme, pyramid scheme ever. Except this one's entirely legal. Well, at least in the United States. Some countries it's not. But this one's honest. Like the payout's eternal. With the best dividends you can imagine. Compounding interest in everything. Follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, be on mission with Jesus. That's a disciple. Have you ever been told that's what you are? Because if you haven't, let me tell you today, as someone who has yielded your life to God through Christ, the Holy Spirit is the seal of your salvation, that is who you are. None of us that have called on the name of Christ as Lord, escape the reality that there are people out there that need to know him as their Lord too, and we get to tell them. Romans 10 <laughs> unifies these thoughts. Whether, whatever level of theological discourse you want to enter into, Romans 10 tells us that uh, they can't believe unless they hear. They can't hear unless we speak. Disciples want to see more people become disciples. Bottom line, I believe it starts in your home. You want to see those people in your home become disciples. I got a desire for my children to lovingly, passionately pursue Jesus for the rest of their lives. I want my wife to lovingly and passionately pursue Jesus for the rest of her life. I want the people across the street that just moved in to lovingly and passionately pursue Jesus for the rest of their life. I want all of you to lovingly and passionately pursue Jesus for the rest of your life. But I want you to want it for those around you too. Jesus wanted it first. I think the rub becomes that as, as church people, we want to fill seats. We want to market ourselves well. 
Uh, we want to build good, morally upstanding people. We want to build a name for ourselves in the community. And sometimes all of those things supplant the call to make disciples. Logos at some point don't really matter. <laughs> the number of seats at some point don't really matter. What matters is are the people within our circles having repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the grace that Jesus offers. And I'll say this, that's all that matters. If origin ceases to exist tomorrow, but that happens more, I'm good with it. I'm okay with it. I will find another job. But if God, in his grace and ambivalence towards what we do, decides to continue to allow us to introduce people to Jesus over and over so that they can have another chance to respond to his grace, I'm good with that too. Whatever's going to bring him the most glory and grow his kingdom the best. We have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with that. But before any of that, we need to know what we're trying to make. Again, Matthew 28, it tells us, like, throw that up there for me one more time. I just want us to read it and just really listen to how Jesus departed. He said, Now to the eleven disciples went to Galilee and to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations or all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In order to make disciples, we need to know what a disciple is. We need to know what we're trying to recreate, but we also need to know what we're not trying to recreate. I don't want to make any more good church people. And you say, well, that sounds crazy. I hope it does. I don't want to make a bunch more good church people. Because good church people, let me, let me tell you, and maybe you're like, I am a good church person. I don't want to offend you. A good church person is great at coming and sitting down on Sundays, plopping and warming a chair until they die. Or a pew. We don't want that. We don't want that. I want, God wants, and I'm not speaking for God, but I am speaking on behalf of Scripture. God desires that all men come to know him. We are plan A. We are plan A, the church, the body of Christ. The gospel resides in our hearts and our stories, and it needs to come out of our mouths in the hopes that more people will come to know Christ. And then, and then after they do, then we get to do that teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you to. It doesn't stop with people coming and confessing Jesus as Lord, being redeemed by the work of Jesus. That's just the beginning. Because then we take what God's supplanted in us, we pour it into them so that they can flip it over in someone else's life. Discipleship. And what we'll talk about over the next few weeks is how we demonstrate a lot of these things and, and what discipleship looks like in like three different areas. But for today, I think those questions, and I'll give you the third, but the first is what are the evidences that I'm following Jesus? What are the evidences that I'm following Jesus? How does my life look different? What are the evidences that God has changed me? God has done something in me, transformed me. What do those look like? And the last evidence that you have to ask, what are the evidences that I'm actually on mission with Jesus? What are the things in my life that actually reveal that I'm on mission with Jesus? I'll go ahead and prep you. You may feel insane guilt 
after trying to answer that third question because I think a majority of the church in America would. And as much as I want to say that we're unique and we're perfect, we're not. We're not. But here's the point. If you feel guilt because you can't say there are any evidences, if you look at it like, I I don't have a whole lot of evidences that I'm on mission with Jesus, like really mission with Jesus, here's what you do. Number one, we confess, we repent, and then we just ask God, God, set me loose. Turn me loose on mission with you. What does that look like? How do I do it? Teach me. And that may mean that you're going to hear God through his word, through his spirit, through his people, but either way, you're open to it. God, what does it look like for me to be on mission with you? And then I would encourage you, please tell somebody. Like, tell somebody. Like, we have community groups for this purpose. Community groups are horizontal and relational exchange. Like, we need both. And so in community groups, over the course of the next few weeks, when everyone gets to share their story, maybe you share a story. Like, soon, what's my life been like since? We talk about, you know, what was my life like before Jesus? Um, How did he grab my attention? How did I respond? What's my life been like since? Maybe number four, here's my life since. God revealed to me that I've been kind of quiet on mission. Here's what I'm going to start to do now. Maybe that's what you get to say. And I guarantee no one in there is going to be like, boo. They're going to be like, that's great. That's so awesome. Maybe not quite with the same enthusiasm that I I use sometimes. But either way, that's what they're going to be thinking. Let's pray together. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for a beautiful picture that we get uh, through the disciples, the, the first that followed you, what it looks like to come, what it looks like to be changed, and what it looks like to be on mission with you. Thank you, God, that they were uh, equipped with faith so that they could be willing to abandon and pursue, so that they could be willing not to be who they were, but be who you have remade them to be. And so, God, not so that they could pursue their mission, but yours. Thank you that we get to see it through the pages of your scripture. God, thank you that you've called us to live it. You've called us to live it individually. You've called us to live it corporately as your, your family of origins. Um, Father, I pray you'd push us to that. Again, not so that origins could grow bigger, but, but so that your kingdom may grow, so that more people would have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to your offer of grace. God, I pray your name would be glorified in the way that we follow, the way that we allow you to change us, the way that we partner with you on mission or just give over to your mission. Thank you, God, for being worthy. Thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you for the spirit that lives in us. And God, thank you for your word that allows us to know you and understand you and pursue you. We love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Zach is going to come and give us some parting announcements. I do want to say, uh, he's going to mention it, but community groups did relaunch last week. If you didn't get in one because it was a holiday week, you can still get in one this week and next week and the next week, but I wouldn't wait until next week. I'd do it this week. Um, If you need a list of those, there's going to be a QR code that you can scan in just a minute, but uh, if you just come on Sundays, I'll go ahead and tell you um, the way that we do this, this life thing, this family life under Jesus, like Sundays are just part of it, a very small part of it. Like community groups are vital. Um, it's an entryway into a lot of other things that we do and, and how we invest in one another and, and even a lot about what Brandon talked about, how we actually counsel one another face-to-face, heart-to-heart uh, through God's Word. So if you haven't gotten in one, uh, get in one soon. Thank you, guys. And uh, if you guys go on the weekly newsletter, um, you can uh, sign up for, for a community group and uh, a couple different things. I'm going to go through like a list of stuff really quick. 
All this stuff is on our uh, weekly newsletter. And uh, kind of the categories that we just went through of what a disciple is and what, um, man, what, what, what we are called to look like as disciples. Each of these things on our newsletters um, uh, kind of fit into those different categories. So you can go in there and sign up for these different things. So community group, um, Piedmont Women's Center, we, uh, as, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, and we announced last week too that we are um, uh, going to be joining them for uh, an event called Night for Life on September 21st. And so uh, Piedmont Women's Center is a partnership that we help give to each month with our resources. Um, we help volunteer um, uh, with different different people in our church. And uh, so this is a great event for us to be a part of as we celebrate life and we get to hear from a guest speaker and also different ways that we can partner with them. Um, even better is this event is free. And so go ahead on our newsletter, sign up for it. You can attend or you can sign up to serve as well for that event, a great way to um, partake with that in our city. Uh, our Origins Workspace, uh, we are just about done. We're, we're getting ready for the city to come and inspect, um, but we need some cleanup this week, and so we're going to look at uh, either Tuesday or Wednesday, um, or just wait for a message from, from Matthew um, to get a group together to go in there and finish cleaning up to get everything squared away, but this is super exciting. Renovation stuff is almost over with, and um, what a great space that we uh, will be able to use for God's glory to grow as disciples and to see other people come to know and trust in Jesus as well. And then, uh, as he mentioned earlier, Origins 101 is next Sunday, so go in the newsletter, sign up for that. If you're new here and you want to become a part of our family and just um, see what it looks like for us to live as disciples of Jesus within our church family, what that looks like for us in our workplaces and our families and uh, um, other places in our life as well, uh, go ahead and sign up for that. And then the last thing, which I don't know if there's a sign up for this, but go ahead and talk to Haley, our kids director. There is uh, Origins Kids Fall Training on October 1st. And so if you have a desire and a passion in your heart to serve our kids on Sundays throughout each month, um, go ahead and talk to Haley. She'll be able to get you squared away with details on a volunteer training on October 1st after our worship together on Sunday. And so um, with that, let's go ahead and stand, and then I'm going to pray, and we will be released into our week. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we love you. Um, we thank you for today. God, uh, I, just, I just pray for my heart and our hearts in this room that um, throughout this week you would uh, just help us evaluate um, how we are following you. God, how we are being transformed by your Holy Spirit. And God, how we are living on mission for you and for your kingdom. And uh, Lord, may we ask the, the hard questions, the, the good questions that align us with you. And uh, God, that we would just be released to um, live and rest and worship you in every part of our life this week. And mostly, God, that um, all, would be, all would be done um, to magnify Jesus' name. And we would rest in him. And we just thank you for um, the love that you have for us. And uh, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.